everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast creator to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, in the blink of an eye, MLS's back's semifinal round is over. Yeah, that was quick. I mean, we even had a rain delay and it was quick. Lightning <laughs> delay. I shouldn't say rain delay. I should say lightning delay. That's proper terms. Yeah, Jordan, you're never going to break into meteorology Gosh. at this rate. Right. So it's tonight we had Orlando City's 3-1 win over Minnesota United. Orlando now will go on to the final on Tuesday to face off against the Portland Timbers. Let's get into the action, Jordan. You started us okay. right off yesterday. Let's let's continue that trend today and get into this game. Okay, let's do it. I think we have to mention because it is going to be hard not to talk a lot about Orlando City because I feel like they really dominated the majority of this game. But with that being said, Joe, I think Minnesota did a good job of starting the game off in a very high pressure. We're going to win the ball back as high up on the field as we can. And I don't know. I didn't go back and look at how many corners they had, but they must have had five corners in the first 20 minutes. They started so strongly in this game that I was starting to wonder if they were going to flip the script of what I anticipated this game to be. We all expected Orlando City to be the team controlling possession, and that's what happened as the game wore on. But it was not the case in those first 15 minutes, Jordan. Like you said, Minnesota United pressed high up the field, pressed Orlando City's buildup, created some turnovers, got some corner kicks, and looked dangerous in those first 15. They did, and I think what was, if they would have scored a goal, I wonder how different this game would have looked. Mm. Or if it wouldn't have looked different because Orlando would have still gotten on the ball and Minnesota would have been defending, right? Because it did flip after that. But you could start to see the tables tilt, in my opinion, just through the play. It started on the right side, but I really think it was the midfield uh, of Orlando who just dominated this game. I thought they bossed the field. They did. And we'll talk about that. I want to get into that. I have some specific things to mention there. But first, let's talk goals. I think that's an appropriate place to start in this game. Orlando City get two goals from Nani in that first half. He gets one in the 36th minute, and then six minutes later in the 42nd minute comes his curler from the left side of the box or right outside the box. It's a ridiculous finish. But let's let's get to that first one first. I want to call this goal, Jordan, the Nani first touch goal. Because Mm. his first touch to receive the ball from Janssen in that left half space to beat Dotson into the box is downright filthy. Absolutely absurd. And he receives it with his right foot, which then allows him to step in front of Dotson a little bit and say, okay, now I'm going to beat you to the ball and you can either lay off a little or foul me, right? Which is also ridiculous that it was the foot that was closest to defender and he still managed to get there. It was it was filthy. It was so good. <laughs> and and even to back up a little bit before that first touch, which is rightfully the star of this goal, just as the shot is the star of the second goal for Orlando City. The buildup to this goal is exactly what we talked about on our preview show for the semifinal round. It's right-sided possession. Then Orlando City dropped the ball back a little bit, switch a long diagonal pass from from sort of the middle right side of the field from, from Janssen in the back line over to Nani on the left side, who's isolated against Dotson. It's, it's almost like the overload to isolate concept that we talked about yesterday with the Philadelphia Union. You talked about this specifically, Jordan. And, and instead of Kai Wagner on the ball on the left side, it's Nani, which is a better outcome. Yeah. I think I would choose Nani in that situation. <laughs> Sorry, Wagner. But what I liked about this is leading up to this, 
I don't think we saw Orlando try the back line with the long ball at all. Maybe not mm. once. Because they were having so much success in the middle of the park with their midfielders and I would say Mueller as well playing and creating centrally that they didn't really need to stretch the back line. And Minnesota wasn't giving them that all the time. But this time, the recognition of Janssen and Nani, because they recognized that the back line for Minnesota, every single player was just standing there. And Janssen didn't have pressure on the ball. If there's no pressure on the ball, you're going to try to play in behind. And especially when the back line is flat-footed like that, and they really just sprung on that opportunity and made them pay for it. Moving forward to the second goal, this one is the the Nani curler with his right foot into the far post that beats Tyler Miller. I want to highlight one specific thing that made this goal, at least to me, that's not Nani related. Okay. So I'll talk about the Nani related one then. Perfect. I think I thought you might like that. Uh, So Sebastian Mendez is on the on the right side of the field and he plays the ball over to Nani. It's a similar idea from the first goal where they're moving the play from right to left. Nani gets the ball, and Hassani Dotson steps out to him just a little bit at right back to close Nani down. But then, Dotson is put off just ever so slightly by an overlapping run from John Moutinho. Dotson mm. in that moment questions, do I step to Nani and leave Moutinho open on the overlap? Which, spoiler alert, yes, is what he should have done because we saw what <laughs> happened. But, I mean, fair play to him. He wasn't aware of, of what was going to happen with the shot. So, Dotson's caught of two minds. He can't decide what to do. He freezes and drops half a step to go with Moutinho, and that space, that split second of time, little extra pocket of space is all Nani needed to curl the ball into the far post netting. That's interesting. I didn't notice that. What I did notice is a different run of Tesho Akindele, because he, as that center forward, is trying to... Nani receives the ball, and he's trying to break the back line between the center back and the outside back, which is Dotson and Aha, I believe, in that instance. And so he's trying to break the back line there in that little seam because Nani could have threaded the ball through to him. Well, what ends up happening is he can tell that that's not going to be on and Nani's not going to play him. So he actually, instead of continuing his run towards the outside edge of like the six-yard box, he actually comes back in line with the goalkeeper. And he ends up, in my opinion, I think making it harder on Tyler Miller and almost becoming a shield to where Nani is shooting the ball. So Miller's reaction is just that much off. But that wasn't even what I was going to talk about. (laughs) What's amazing to me is you can get a player to totally go off their game without even moving the ball. The ball is stagnant. It's just sitting there after Nani brings it down with his thigh, right to his foot. He takes another touch. Dotson maybe, as you mentioned, played off a little bit by that overlapping run. But then Nani shoulder feints to his left. So Dotson goes right and he he goes right. Like he's going <laughs> to Nani's going to take the ball that way. And that little motion where he doesn't even touch the ball gives him that extra little yard I wouldn't even say yard, foot, six inches of space that uh, you can't give that to Nani. It was incredible just to see him shift and move and not even touch the ball. He and Sebastian Blanco are going to be very fun to watch in this (laughs) upcoming final game, but we're not there yet. Let's talk more about the midfield for Orlando City. I know you wanted to specifically say some different things about this, Jordan, so I'm going to flip it to you first for Orlando City's midfield discussion, but then I've got a couple things of my own to add. Okay, I will just say, Joe, you called me out about picking the low-hanging fruit in these games, and I didn't choose Nani, and now I wish I would have. 
But I think my choice was pretty good, right? Oh, it was so good. He was a boss. What I really liked about him is there were moments that he recognized when Minnesota was in like this middle block, right? And so they had transitioned from that high high pressing into more of, okay, we'll, we'll pressure you sometimes when you're moving the ball around the back. And it depended on certain cues, like um, a longer pass or if it went to a certain player. So as they were moving the ball around the back, I felt like Pereira noticed that Alonso in that middle block was actually following him and man marking him in time. So he would drag Alonso all the way out, almost looking like, I don't know if this is a thing, a triple pivot, mm-hmm. <laughs> a, a third player in that ability to switch the point of attack. And he would play make out of this really, really deep role. And I thought that was brilliant of him, of him because then that just opened up space for Nani to come inside, for Mueller to come inside, for Mendez to push forward, which was just a different look that Orlando gave. Pereira is unreal, number one. Yeah. Um, and number two, you just summarized all the things that I wanted to say. So I'm going to be stubborn and say them anyway, but with a little bit more detail and give some timestamps just so that I feel like I contributed to this conversation. I love when you do that. Okay. You always contribute, whatever. Okay, here we go. So I have two ways of course I do. I have two ways that Orlando City's midfield... Is that, for, is that for Taylor? That was for Taylor Rockwell after my uh, insistence on always giving him two response answers in our, in our conversation on the Total Soccer Show. <laughs> but here, I think it's fair because I've got two specific patterns or ideas that Orlando City used to break apart Minnesota United's defensive midfield trio. Okay. So Orlando City clearly watched film of the Earthquakes' loss to Minnesota United because they came in with specific ideas on how to break this team down. Way number one that I noticed, I, I want to call it dropping and filling. And we saw it in the 16th minute. It's right center back Antonio Carlos on the ball in Orlando City's build-up third. Hayes and Gregouge are pressuring Orlando City's double pivot. So Antonio Carlos can't play through those two guys. He can't play through Mendez or Yuri. So Pereira starts to drop down, dragging Ozzy Alonso with him. You just covered that really well. That's what Minnesota United wanted to do. They wanted to block off those three central midfielders for Orlando City. But Orlando knew that. And they had their own plan to beat it. So as Pereira drops down, dragging Alonso with him, Chris Miller comes inside from his right wing spot into that number 10 space. He's in acres of space now because there's no one around him because there are no central midfielders left from Minnesota United. Carlos plays a line-breaking pass into him. They can't quite connect, but it's beautiful. The movement is Uh perfect, and it's perfectly timed and executed and clearly drawn up before the game to draw Minnesota United's midfielders forward and then take advantage of that space in behind. I love that detail there because I actually wrote in my notes, is Mueller playing like a second 10? Because he was tucking inside in a lot of moments and it was because of the way that Minnesota was defending and Orlando was using their defense against them, right? And pulling them out of those spaces that Mueller really, we got to see him on the ball in those big pockets of space and connect and be a playmaker. So that's number one, and this one will be quicker, but way number two that Orlando City broke down this midfield, I want to call rotation, rotation, rotation. It happened <laughs> several times in the first half. It's a little bit more fluid than the structured pattern that I just described, but Mendez would move over to one side. Yuri would shift over to that same side. Then Pereira would drop deep, almost forming that triple pivot, as you just called it, Jordan. The triangle kept changing and rotating. Pereira would move off the ball. Yuri and Mendez would move. Mendez would even come back to the other side of the field. It was so much movement and rotation within that triangle Mm. that it tore Minnesota United's defensive triangle apart and created space for Orlando to play through midfield. 
There were so many times in this game where I was in awe of the way that Orlando played one touch around Minnesota. And it wasn't just one touch that was quickly breaking the lines and getting forward. It was, they were almost toying with them, Joe. Like, they would just play one touch through the midfield and it would go from Uri to Mendez to Nani to Matinho to Uri. Like, they just were playing this one-touch soccer and it was so beautiful. And it's not just them playing one touch. It was their movement off the ball in order for them to create those spaces and those overloads that allowed them to play one touch. I thought they played off the ball so well in large periods of this game. That's Orlando City. Coming into the second half, Minnesota United are down 2 nothing. They start pushing a little bit more. They start getting possession and testing Orlando City's defensive shape. And that is only increased and exponentially more dangerous when Kevin Molino comes on in oh the 58th minute. Oh my gosh. I wanted him from the get-go, from that 45th minute. Put him in there, right? Yeah. Why wait, I guess. I don't know what his fitness status is, but it seems yeah. like maybe if you can go 30, you might be able to go 45. I mean... Ham, hammies are testy. And, um, especially with the injury history that Molino has with your knees, like you just don't want your hamstring to be tender in any way. And it did look like to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he didn't really look like he was like striding out and really sprinting around, which is crazy because he still went in and completely changed the game for Minnesota. He is just so nonchalant and chill and also just like, really, really good in being that way. Like, I think he draws players, but he's like never, never looks phased by it. He has ideas and composure on the ball. He comes off the bench in the 58th minute as a left midfielder, but it's fluid and he tucks inside every possible chance in possession. Mm -hmm. He brings life to that central space by dribbling at players, drawing defenders in, getting fouled, or playing fantastic through balls in behind the back line. There were two of them in this game in particular. One to Ethan Finley in the 64th minute behind the the left side of Orlando City's defense, and then the assist in the 83rd minute on Mason Toy's goal. That brings Minnesota United within one. It's Molino receiving the ball in the left half space, shaking off Juan, cutting onto his right foot, and threading the ball through to Toy in the box for Toy to finish. It's a ridiculous performance off the bench. Yeah, it is. And the the reason that his assist to toy is so perfect is because he plays it uri is running because molino's running towards the center of the field so from the left to the right right so he's dribbling with the ball towards the center of the field so uri is positioned as the player like that help defender right behind huan so he would have been the next player to step if molino continued with the ball but Uri's positioning of his body is his right foot is a little bit forward and his left foot's a little bit back. So he's almost um, ready to engage. And he plays the ball. Molino plays the ball right behind Uri into the seam behind him, which makes it impossible for him to turn his body quick enough to try to get a toe poke or anything on that pass. And the run through by Toy was perfect. The finish was perfect. And I just... I thought that the assists in this game were sometimes nearly as beautiful as the goals. Kevin Molino is the guy that takes Minnesota United up a notch. From mm-hmm. from being a tough defensive team, but an unproductive team in possession, to being scary defensively and when they have the ball for longer periods of time. He just plays between the lines so well. And one of the things that I think is 
challenging about defending him is I know I, I mentioned that about his nonchalantness, right? Like he gives off this like he makes everything look so easy. And so when defenders step to him, he can handle that pressure and he att- he attracts so much attention that it allows the players around him to run off the ball in different ways. And I think that's why we saw Ethan Finley be able to get the ball and receive the ball, which you just mentioned, beyond the back line. Why Mason Toy could make that run is because they know and trust that Molino, no matter what or no matter who gets drawn to him, because players will get drawn to him, that he can thread those seams. There's an alternate reality where we're maybe discussing this game a little bit differently because Molino comes on, Toy comes on, Schoenfeld comes on, and Mason Toy maybe buries that header late in the second half to equalize. That hurts. That hurt me. Like, Mason Toy, that was your shot, dude. You know, he was right there. He was right there. I think the person that jumped right in front of him threw him off a little bit. But, Joe, one of the things that you learn as a goal scorer, I'm going to call myself a goal scorer (laughs) because I did score some goals. More Um, than me. But when you are a forward and so you're in the box hunting the ball a lot of the times, like you have to think every time the ball is coming in that it is going to get to you. Like you have to have that mindset that like the ball is going to get to me and I'm going to be ready to score. And it just looked like he was thrown off a little bit. And it's so unfortunate because, yeah, this could have been a game that potentially would have gone to penalties if it maybe weren't for the other goal that we saw, but um, that momentum definitely shifted in those last 15 minutes towards Minnesota. Mason Toy might not be in the first choice lineup for Adrian Heath, but there's no doubt in my mind that Kevin Molino is either as the attacking midfielder under Amaria or as a left-sided midfielder, a left winger in a 4-3-3 drifting inside and allowing Chase Gasper, who also had a, a really interesting game. He has a lot of dribble moves on that left side and can play some dangerous balls into the box. But again, there's no doubt in my mind that Kevin Molino makes this Minnesota United team so much better when he's on the field. And we saw that in this game. Can we just talk about Gasper Harlem globetrottering um, <laughs> Juan and knocking him onto his butt? Like, I'd honestly rather was... talk about how you just made Harlem globetrottering a verb. That yeah, was you're welcome. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. And that felt right. It it sounded right. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. I laughed out loud. And Huan was like, oh, man, I'm sure. And Huan was great in this game, too, especially great. in that first half. It's funny. I thought I took down in my notes that both attacks and a lot of these sequences went through their fullbacks, went through Minnesota United's left back and Chase Gasper and then Orlando City's right back and Huan. But that's that's not really here or there. Orlando it was City, a good battle. It was a good battle. Orlando City get their final goal, their third goal in second half stoppage time. Benji Michel, ben, Benji Michel on a counterattack to end the game at 3-1, sending Orlando City through to the finals where they will play the Portland Timbers on Tuesday in the last game of the MLS's back tournament. No! <laughs> it is sad. I don't, I'm it not ready sad. for it to be over. No, it's been a lot of... It, no, not at all. It's been a lot of work, but I love watching soccer. You love watching soccer. This has been fun for us to do. We've still got two more shows, though. Not one more show. Yeah. Two more shows. On Saturday, we're going to be previewing that final between Portland and Orlando. We'll have things to watch, specific tactical things to look for, players to keep an eye on. All of those things will be covered in that preview show as our second to last episode before we recap that final game on Tuesday night, late Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning, depending on where you live. Yeah, that'll be good. It'll be a nice little preview. 
I don't, we haven't quite figured out if we're going to each take a team. I think we might each just take a team and give you guys some real detailed looks inside what this could be. But by now, you, you all could probably uh, know what we're going to talk about. This will be a fun matchup between these two. Um, one team we saw tonight wants the ball, and one team might not be the best when they have the ball. So we'll see what happens. You're tossing all, you're tossing out all my best preview content now. What am I going to do on, on Saturday? No. That was only a taste. <laughs> An appetizer. An appetizer is fine. I'll take that. Jordan, thank you for talking soccer with me tonight. Listeners, thank you all for listening. We'll be back again Saturday to cover this final game of the MLS's back tournament. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.